political issues. One of them, some of you ask, how do you balance family and ministry? To answer that kind of question, we would really need to stand all the long-term BSU directors up here and give them a couple of days. And, um, the truth is, you do have some priorities from the Lord you have to live by. Uh, actually, you need to do well in all the priorities. Some people, again, feel like priority means that there's, a, there's an A ball that's got to be juggled, and the B balls and C balls can be dropped. But your walk with God is primary if you don't maintain it. Everything else will come loose. Uh, whenever, for me personally, whenever I don't really maintain my walk with God, uh, I have an ability, God's given me an ability to see ahead. That's part of my gifting. And whenever I don't walk the Lord, that just dries up. I get as blind as a bat, and I can't make decisions. The, I mean, well, I can decide whether to get a Big Mac or a Quarter Pounder. But as far as anything spiritually significant or trying to lead the ministry, I, I just get blind. Not only that, but my relationship with my wife starts to go sour. Um, I start wanting to kill people in the ministry. <laughs> and uh, things like that. That walk with God has to be maintained. My relationship with my wife and my family is the foundation for my leadership in the ministry. If I don't lead my family rightly, I can't lead in the household of God. I need to take care of my wife, uh, just like Christ did the church. I need to be a father to my children like a father in heaven is a father to me. If I'm unfaithful in these things, then I have problems with Jesus, and Jesus is going to discipline me. Uh, the problem is, I don't get paid primarily for spending time with my wife and children. Uh, I get paid for doing the ministry. So it's not like uh, priority means that I put 80 hours a week into quiet time, 40 hours a week into wife and children, and then the remaining 40 in the ministry. What I have to do is make sure that my walk with God is okay. Uh, my relationship with my wife and children is healthy and growing. Their needs are being met. And then I have work in the ministry to do. Uh, so for me, the way life has been is life is immersed in the ministry. There are some church situations where you can punch in at 8 in the morning and punch out at 5 in the evening, and nobody sees anybody till the next morning. Those are large metropolitan churches. Big cities, they have, they have buildings close to the downtown part of town, and nobody wants to be down there after 5 o'clock. Uh, those ministries exist. The student ministry is not like that. And the kind of ministry I have in the pastor is not like that. Instead, my life is immersed in the ministry. Uh, I'm in it 24 hours a day. What I need to do is carve out enough time for my wife, carve out enough time for my kids, carve out enough time for my walk with God, carve out enough time for other things and make sure those things are taken care of. Uh, in, in my work in the ministry, man, it's a lot easier to do the ministry than just to plan for it. There's a thing called the uh, principle of operating priority, which says if you have to operate and manage at the same time on a job, you'll always operate forget the management. You know, just doing something is a lot more fun than taking responsibility to look over and make decisions. Now, you may be highly administratively wired, and so you like to spend all your time, you know, locked in the closet, light on, just planning about the future. Uh, those people do exist. They are rare. Uh, you need to get out and get with people. But uh, it's, it's just hard to, even in the ministry, keep the priorities straight on what I need to be doing. The one thing I've never found, I have found ways to uh, keep 
uh, be responsible with my family. One thing I've never found is a way to make it all simple. And uh, it just knew you had one more kid. What was simple last year is now thoroughly complicated. Younger children grow three months. Your discipline game plan has to change. What you're doing with them changes. Uh, as they start getting around 10, 11, you know, you don't have to change things as often. All of a sudden they hit 12, 13, and then here we go again. Uh, the, there's just a lot of changes that you, you have to live with and uh, you have to respond to. So, but when these, if these other things start suffering, I will, I will not be successful in the ministry long run. I may build a huge ministry, but then what you'll watch is you'll watch me as an older man go through the dishonor of seeing my family come apart. And so you have to keep things intact. Uh, that's very much a part of my faithfulness. Faithfulness is all across the board. And, uh, and it's relative. I mean, if I'd rather been faithful, I'd never sinned in the first place. Now, this side of that, uh, I have a few friends who are so optimistic that they never look at the past. But the, <laughs> I'm not that way. Uh, every, whenever I go through a year, I look back, evaluate the year, and I see all kinds of ways I could have been more faithful. Sometimes that's very depressing, especially if it's been a hard year. Uh, but you know, I have to leave the past with Jesus. I have to learn from it, leave it with Jesus, and move on. A part of my faithfulness to the Lord is taking the ball that Jesus hikes to me and running with it. I really appreciate what Melanie said. You know, it's, it's far easier if God gives you something difficult to do to sit there and say, "Why didn't I listen to the coach?" But if you do, you just get run over by somebody who weighs three or four hundred pounds. <laughs> Jesus hikes the ball, you run with it. Uh, there'll be a few of those eight-foot-tall angels out there blocking for you, and there you get there. You don't need to see them until you get there. There'll be a hole whenever you get to the wall. Uh, so whatever God, is, whatever God does, whatever God hands you, you want to run with it. I... I a guy once told me that people live on a balance between greed and fear. This is a fellow who's not a Christian. He's a businessman. He's smart. He's a salesman. And he understood this really well. He said most people live their lives on a balance between greed and fear. They, there's stuff they want, and there's stuff they're scared will happen. And he said what they do is that some people draw the, the line they're going to live on way back here toward fear. And other people draw the line way out here toward greed. They're going to have more even if it does scare them. But everybody, some people won't go so far because fear holds them back from going that far with greed. Others would like to just live in fear, but they just want too much. And I thought, you know, that pretty well describes the world I've seen. You see, I'm called to live in faith, and that's not on that spectrum. It's on, it's on a different balance. I have to act against my fears and my greed. When God hands me something to do, I have to act against fear. The Lord hands me a situation to walk through that's difficult, I have to act against my desires. And I, have to, I need to walk in faith. I need to be faithful. So the stuff we've talked about with training, uh, with preparation, those things I showed you last night about authority and the other stuff, there's always more to learn. If you wait till you learn it all, um, you'll be in about the oh, 45th millennium of heaven probably. 
Uh, and this, this great opportunity in life will be over. Jesus hikes the ball. You run with it. Leroy needs to move. Not just sit there and cry. Another thing, another thing I learned early in the ministry, for me, I learned that lesson whenever I tried to start BSUs, and I'd be 25 people promised to show up, and two would be there. I said, they're like, what happened to all these other guys? Yes, the afternoon said they were going to be here. Well, one day I was doing that, and just about to uh, cave in, and God, God just said in my heart, I've given you two. Why don't you do something with them? I said, well, Okay. You know, we had 25 later on. I need to be faithful with two before he's going to give me 25. Leroy hikes. Leroy gets the ball. He needs to run with it. Uh, you take the situation God gives, and, and you move on with it. Uh, and if you fall with the ball, you want to fall forward. <laughs> you know, very, very few people make touchdown on the first run. If you, if you get tackled, you just want to fall forward if you can. Scoot a couple of inches and stretch the ball out. <laughs> because, uh, you know, life's just like that. You get tackled, you go down, you scoot, and you fall forward and scoot. Um, what happens is a lot of people get tackled two or three times, then Jesus hikes the ball again. They grab that ball and say, you know, every time I carry this thing, somebody runs over me. <laughs> throw that thing down and walk off. And then the other team gets the ball. So whether it's, whether it's 40 yards or 2 inches, if you're gonna, when you fall, you want to fall forward. You know, if you see a big one coming, just tuck your head and dive. But Jesus hikes the ball, you want to move it. Uh, you want to be faithful with what the Lord gives you. He doesn't give us all the same things. Sometimes in our family circumstances, he gives us different things to be faithful with. Uh, Bobby mentioned their new child, uh, difficulties that it may have. Uh, that's going to be a part of Bobby's planning the rest of his life, to be faithful with this child. And what, what's going to happen is he will find God's best and God's will and God's direction in the context of being faithful in his home. You know, we, um, we lost a child. That, that time period in their life is, um, is a part of the stewardship God has given us. And uh, there are going to be things he requires out of us with that. Uh, the way we've had our children, God, Jessica is 17, Jean is 10, John 7. They're spaced a little more widely. Uh, we need to be faithful with that spacing. They're not, not quite the same. Uh, John Worcester has two sets of twin boys, less than... Uh, less than two years apart. Uh, Deborah, with having our children at, at spaced intervals, didn't have the same the same lifestyle to carry out as Diane with four sets of little two sets of little boys under two years old. Talk about having a ministry. That's one of those points where you like it to be like third world. Just sort of let them out there run around naked and hose them down every now and then. <laughs> Now, Diane didn't tell me that, but I know if I were in that situation, that's what I'd want to do. You know, there, there are a lot, of, a lot of things we think that are convenient for our society just aren't convenient for others. They have their ways of doing things. So, um, we, 
we have we have, we have different stewardships from the Lord. And um, we need to respect that among one another, receive one another's stewardships, help one another. But whatever God gives, if you just carry the ball God gives, you don't have anything to be afraid of. You don't need to get on that fear and greed thing. You, you just need to walk in faith. And if you'll handle a stewardship God gives, some of you, some of you have supervisors uh, that are just one cut short of Attila the Hun. And uh, Leroy's hiked the ball uh, he's got the ball in that context, and Leroy just needs to run with it. Figure out how to move this thing forward. The one who waits for perfect circumstances rarely carries the ball. You know, Ecclesiastes 7, or Ecclesiastes 11 says, when the, if you look out, it's time to sow, and you look out and say, well, you know the wind's blowing today. I don't think I'll sow today. Oh, clouds coming across. Well, it's not the day for harvest. You know, it could rain. One that looks at the weather won't do the work. If you wait till the circumstances are right, you'll never produce. Take who you are and the great God you have in the situation you're in. Carry the ball. And, um, there's um, family is a part of that faithfulness. And you, you just have to figure out how to handle it as time goes along. Talk to your mate. You need to talk to your mate. Uh, those of you who are uh, working together in teams, you've got to talk to each other. If you're trying to work together in the ministry. We're going to turn a different direction, take a look at one of those categories that I told you about. These are the attitudes of success. I told you attitude affected a lot. Now this, this is my study out of Proverbs. Uh, whether or not it fits, whether or not that pattern is exact, I think it is. I, I suggested it to you yesterday. I, I know that every one of those categories is valid. Whether or not that exact pattern is right, you can figure out for yourself over the next 40 years. Uh, you, you need to learn in the categories for sure. As a matter of fact, a lot of you could already start writing, writing down what you know out of the New Testament in those categories, and have, you already have a great deal down, like on authority. What, what's the key chapter in the Bible on authority? Romans 13. Boy, that's tough. It, uh, that's off. But it, it's, just, it's just full of really good stuff. You know, God always leaves you under inadequate authority, at least from your perspective. It's for sure imperfect authority. And God, most of us wouldn't have any trouble at all submitting to Jesus, we think. <laughs> He's perfect. He doesn't make bad decisions. But the character that's over me, good grief. And so we wait on that perfect authority situation before we're going to really obey. And God keeps giving wives husbands, and husbands ain't Jesus. God keeps giving team members team leaders. And they know for sure he ain't Jesus. And God keeps on giving us uh, public officials who aren't adequate in our way of thinking. But you see, your trust is never in the authority over you. If you have an option, you need to find authority that you trust. If you're in one of those situations where someone's over you and you just really don't trust their judgment, your trust has to be higher than that. Your trust is in God. In whose, in whose sovereignty the, the king's heart is a stream of water in his hand. He can turn it wherever you trust is not in the leader. Trust is in God over them. So there, there are a lot of things in Scripture about authority. But this success thing, I'm sorry, the attitudes of success, uh, are basic attitudes that Scripture promises to bless. Uh, exactly how much money is wealth, I don't know. And how much of it's money and how much spiritual, I don't know. 
But to the extent that it's possible, I'd like to be in that category of wealth. <laughs> so I'd like to do the thing Scripture says, bring that kind of blessing, spiritually or personally. Um, and many of these attitudes are promised tremendous blessing in the Scripture. We're going to take a look at them. Let's you take your hand out. Uh, I printed this with microdots <coughs> as small as I possibly could uh, to make those people who need glasses pull theirs out. I wanted to get it all on one page so you could sort of see the overall sweep. One of the ways you can uh, study the Bible is you can study a topic like the fear of the Lord, study through it, and look at what Scripture says about the fear of the Lord. The way Proverbs is written, and um, a lot of times the Psalms, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Psalms, are Hebrew poetry. And Hebrew poetry has certain characteristics to it. Now, one of the things it does is it rhymes thoughts, not words. In English, we rhyme words. Hebrew poetry rhymes thoughts. Uh, so what you'll find is a lot of the verses in Proverbs, you look at them from a, with a normal mentality and say, well, why do they say the same thing twice? Well, they're rhyming thoughts. They'll say they'll give you the same thought with a slightly different angle. The first part of the verse and the last part of the verse will say the, the same basic thing with slightly different twists and different meanings. A lot of times... They contrast thoughts. That's a part of the poetry of sort of rhyming. It's a dissonance instead of a, an assonance or a similar, similar thought. The first line of the verse and the second line balance against one another. Every now and then they'll violate this. But um, here's one. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Rhyming thought. The first part, a cheerful heart's good medicine. That's the positive. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. That's the negative. So these, these two halves of the verses are related to one another. One of the things you want to look for whenever you study a concept is look for its opposites because very, very often that second part of the verse or the first part of the verse is going to be opposite to the other statement. And you get an idea from the mind of God about not only what it is but what it's not. And what it's not is often just as helpful as what it is. So what you'll find in a lot of these verses are contrasts. Let's dig into it. The fear of the Lord uh, is one of the attitudes. Listen to some of these verses. This is the importance of attitudes. Uh, Proverbs 16:2. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. The things that go into our hearts are... Um, Weighed by the Lord, Proverbs 17.3. The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. It's not just the external action that God's dealing with. He's looking deep into our hearts for the thoughts, the attitudes, the motives that are there. And um, he's very concerned about these things. Actually, those hidden things shape a good part of our life. As far as I can tell, as I look through Proverbs, the number one attitude of heart that a person needs to live with is the fear of the Lord. Uh, I had for a long time thought this was an Old Testament concept. Well, you know, in the 
Old Testament, you fear the Lord. And in the New Testament, you love the Lord. Or you trust the Lord. I've, I've heard sermons to that effect. But the fear of the Lord is a New Testament concept. Like I said the other night, the, um, one of the big problems with the false apostles is they have no fear of the Lord. And this fear of the Lord is not that abject fear where you want to hide out from God. You know, it's 100 on the fear scale. God's coming. You know, Adam in the garden. Uh-oh, I hear the noise in the tops of the trees. It's not that kind of fear. You study it in the scriptures, and it's something like this. It's a belief that God, first of all, is who he is. He is good, but he is also holy. And not only that, he's in charge. He's not just in charge in general, but he knows the location of every, every electron in every atom in the skin of every worm under the bark of every tree on the face of the earth, not just the rainforest either. And he is able to affect every electron in every atom, in the skin of every worm, under the bark of every tree on the face of the earth. He is able to deal intimately with the details of my life. He can pull my chain at any point. And understanding that, that he is a good God, but he is holy. And he is deeply involved in the details of my life. I take him seriously. I don't go mucking around with God. You know, some, some cultures have those ceremonies where they pull out, the, they go down and buy a whole lot of paper money, dump it in front of their shrines, and light it up, and it burns up. And they think their gods are sitting there and say, wow, this guy really loves me. Look at all that money. Nearsighted. Can't tell it's paper money. Just play money. Our God can see past play money. Our God can see to the thoughts and motives of our heart. Understanding that, now he is good, see. And remember, he's patient. He, he, he's all these wonderful things, but he is holy and he's in charge. And he will discipline his children. He loves me enough to discipline me. Therefore, there are things I don't do. You know, Scripture says that God, God just detests it whenever the strong oppress the weak. I mean, he, he goes off scale on things like that. He gives someone strength and power, and they use it to crush others. God takes it personally. Scripture says, that, do you know the only sin that God goes nose to nose against you over? You ever want to go toe-to-toe with God? There's one sin that he'll, he'll draw the line in the sand and go toe-to-toe, nose to nose against you on. What is it? God opposes the proud. Pride, why? That's no big thing. Well, if you want to live a very frustrating life, it's a great way to start. Nobody ever out-arm wrestled God. And pride draws the opposition of God. Out of the fear of the Lord, there are things we don't do. Joseph, whenever Potiphar's wife says, hey, baby, Joseph says, I can't do this thing against God. Uh, but, you know, Potiphar could hurt him, but God could really ruin him. We need to fear the one. We do not fear flesh and blood, but fear the one that can cast body and soul into hell. Whenever you fear something, it sets boundaries for you. If there's a bad dog in the neighborhood, you go out for a jog. And uh, on a certain street, there's a bad dog that likes to chase you, rip people's legs off, and stuff like that. Most people don't consistently jog down that street. 
Why? Now fear. It's obvious. You know, you got to be a nut to run down that street. Hey, let's have a little fun. Vroom. You don't do that. And anybody in their right mind would not do that. That's, that's fierce. Fierce, that's boundaries for us. People afraid of airplanes don't ride airplanes. That's where that joke comes from about the 800-pound gorilla. You know, where does an 800-pound gorilla sleep? Anywhere it wants to. It's called fear of the gorilla. But a lot of people that are afraid of an 800-pound gorilla would just walk right up to God's face and spit at him. Now, he's merciful. He is kind. He doesn't immediately anger. But you need to take this very seriously. I don't punch my wife. You know why? I wish it's because I'm such a good person. But I don't want to see my arm with her. I don't see it ripped off in a car wreck. I outboy my wife a whole lot. And I'm a lot bigger and stronger than she is. And I believe if I use my strength to oppress my wife, that God himself will take it personally and come after me. She is his daughter. My daddy, whenever one of my brothers-in-law asked to marry my sister, uh, as I told you earlier, my dad was a, a guy who pretty physical. And um, his brother-in-law asked him if he could marry her, and Dad didn't like the idea because he, he wasn't hell, real sure how this guy was going to turn out. But he knew that my sister wanted to marry him desperately, so he told him yes. He said, yeah, you can marry her. But he said, I want to tell you something. He said, if you ever hit her, he said, you, you can give your, your soul to the Lord because your body's mine. <laughs> I thought, you know, if my, if my earthly dad was that concerned about his daughter, how is my heavenly father concerned about his daughter? I, there, there are things I don't do. I mean, I love my wife, but, you know, everybody gets times they're angry. And there are some fellows just in the face of God who go ahead and pop their wife on the face. I, I, shudder, I shudder to think about that. And, um, you know, fellows, if you mistreat your wives, 1 Peter 3, 7 says you don't have a prayer. Now, right? Know what it says? Lest your prayers be hindered. How'd you like to be on the freeway, 75 miles an hour, heavy traffic, no prayer? Big concrete truck right behind you. I, I don't want to be there. I don't, I don't want to enter desperate situations. We, we did whenever our little girl died. And uh, God chose not to respond to prayer. And uh, that was his own will. I, I know the pain of terrible situation where the answer is no. And I don't want to be in a situation where I can't even pray and get a no. Just out of my own volition. I don't want to jump into that. So what, what I'm saying is the fear of God is taking God seriously enough to where you understand that there are boundaries and you do not cross those and laugh about it. If you cross them, you repent, you back up, and you humble yourself before God. Because the Father loves you enough to discipline you. And he is capable of disciplining you. That's why Hebrews 12 says, don't take the discipline of the Lord lightly. You know, because we really do take it lightly if we don't watch out. Anyway, this, this is fundamental to everything else. There are a lot of blessings that come with it. Uh, blessings in general. 
And in specific, I'd just like to read some of them real quick. Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord. That's general. But he who hardens his heart falls in trouble. The duty of man, the whole duty of man, is to fear God and keep his commandments. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. The blessings that come, wisdom, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Through love and faithfulness, a sin is atoned for, but through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. If you don't sidestep the 800-pounders, you just walk in the fear of the Lord. If you follow the game plan, you might not get run over real bad. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord, for there is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Now what this says is you operate within the boundaries God sets out of respect for him, and he will see that the right things happen to you on down here. See, the big problem is we get up against the boundaries. You know, the road turns, the two-lane road. And we get up against the boundaries, against the guardrail, and we see what we want over there. And boy, our heart goes out after it, and soon our body's right behind our heart. There is surely a future hope for you guys. not going to let your hopes die. And your hope will not be cut off. But right now, you need to stay within the guardrails. You know, he who abides in my word, he's truly my disciple. He'll know the truth, and the truth will set him free. That abiding is staying within the boundaries of and continuing in. John 8, 31, 32. Peace, man, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. I read a quote one time that says, and this is an encouragement to fearlessness. You consult God's wishes, not man's. He can handle the people you fear. Uh, the fear of the Lord leads to life, Proverbs 19.23. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. You stay within the fear of the Lord, there'll be some hard things to walk through, but peace lies on ahead. You violate the fear of the Lord, step out of his boundaries, and there's going to be uproar. Wealth and honor, humility and the fear of the Lord, you pair the fear of the Lord with something, bring wealth and honor and life, Proverbs 22.4. A long life, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me, wisdom says, your days will be many in the years of your life. Many years will be added to your life. Um, in, in Scripture, the fear of the Lord is the doorway you walk through into the realm of wisdom. As far as I can tell in the New Testament, that, that's when you bow the knee to Jesus and say, You are my Lord, and you mean it. You walk through to where in the boundaries where He is Lord, He sets boundaries for your life. You just pass through the door into the beginning of wisdom. Now, you're not real wise yet. You just walk through the door. But if you don't pass through that door, you don't get into wisdom. You may get smart, but you ain't going to be wise. You may be sophisticated, but you won't be wise. There, there are people in the ministry who uh, have stubbornness in their hearts and will not bow the knee to God in one of those areas of boundaries. And as a result, over time, you know, it may, it may be in the realm of authority. Uh, it could be realm in, in the realm of things deep in our hearts. Uh, over time, the wisdom just darkens down. And um, I've seen people who have been in the ministry years 
almost mockers before God. Mock and mock spiritual things. You, you have to operate in the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't want to bore you with this, but I do want to impress you with it. As a matter of fact, if I could bore it into you, that might be real good. Because <laughs> this is just extremely important. The opposite of the fear of the Lord in the scriptures uh, is several things. And I, I think you could add them, sum them up in the word perversity. A perverse means turned away from what's right. You know, if, <laughs> if God says, do this, they're going to do this or they're going to dabble. They're just not going to do what's right. Now, there are several ways that's expressed. Um, and then Scripture says God's against them, the perverse, they'll not prosper. It promises, even though you come up against the boundaries and the road of righteousness and justice goes this way, e- even though the fear of the Lord says, wait, I'll give you your hopes in time, if you decide to cross the boundaries, you will not prosper. Over, over the hill lies a swamp. You will not prosper. Um, perversity is expressed by several attitudes of heart. One of them is rebellion. There are a lot of nasty things said about rebellious people in the scripture, about how hard life is. If you want a life filled with roadblocks and thorns, you pick the path of the rebellious. You just don't want to do that. I'm not going to read the verses. You can maybe do a quiet time on these. A hardened heart. A hardened heart is one of those where God keeps on speaking, and we don't want to listen to him. Uh, have you ever been reading the Bible, and God speaks to your heart, and he says, Oh, I wish I hadn't seen that. <laughs> I think you're going to advance a little in the reading calendar. <laughs> well, God speaks to your heart. If it hurts, you still need to wrestle with the thing. And it may take you months or a, or a year to get through it. You need to wrestle with this thing and begin dealing with it. Because... You don't want a hardened heart. Uh, I've run into those people in life, and uh, they have they have a very hard life. There's a lot of trouble for them. Being wise, I'm sorry, envy. Um, envy is one of those things that's opposite the fear of the Lord. Why would that be? I mean, it's inverse. It's paired opposite. Why? Why would it be paired opposite? Now, God has given someone else a different distribution from you, and you're, you're violating big number 10. You refuse to accept in gratitude what God has given you, and you're coveting that which others have. Uh, you, you, you don't fear the Lord. To envy, uh, Scripture says, do you, um, back up. Do not let your heart envy sinners, and often it's the sinners we envy. The guys driving the big automobiles, the people who have a car that will start. <laughs> you know, people with better medical insurance. Uh, the list is endless. People who have children, if you don't have children. Uh, people who do have children. You know, if you don't have children, it's people who do have children. If you have several children, you sit down and start envying people that never had any. We go on and on and on. You, you look at somebody else's wife or husband and say, boy, if I'd married that one, I'd be okay. But why? We won't accept what God has given us. And so we miss the blessing in it. We set our hearts on what others have. And just envy has that kind of hurt in it that I don't have what they have. And it just sort of hurts on the inside. It not only wants, but it's coveting with a hurt. 
a little bit of bitterness in it. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous. But always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There's a hope, future hope for you. Your hope will not be cut off. A heart at peace, Proverbs 14.30, gives life to the body. But envy rots the bones. Envy, according to the, to the scriptures, I, I don't think this is figurative. I think this is real. Envy is the source of a lot of physical problems, debilitating physical problems. That doesn't mean everybody has debilitating physical problems. It's envious. But if you're a person who lives with that kind of bitter hurt on the inside of you and, and the flames of desire that go with it, over a time period, you, you get something that you could describe as bone rot. And it weakens you. Your bones are a part of your basic strength as a person. And you start coming apart in the very core of who you are. And I, and I think it's talking about physical problems. Devastating sickness. So, whenever Paul says over in Proverbs that envy is a work of the flesh, you need to understand that it really is true. This is not good stuff. Envying someone else's ministry. You know, I, I have a list of ministries now that I should not have coveted. So I've watched guys go down in flames. You know, I, I remember one, one night I was watching TV and this uh, guy was on who had this phenomenal ministry, uh, the televangelist. And I never did feel good about him. Uh, this is one of our fellows down in Dallas. I never feel good about him. Something about his eyes always bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> they never changed the expression. Sort of like a snake. And it always bothered me. But this guy's ministry is gigantic. I looked at the little bitty wimpy thing I was doing, look at what he's doing, and I said, God, I got better eyes than he's got. <laughs> and uh but he was raking in about seven million, five, seven million a month. Um, his pastorium right now I think cost a million and a half. The, um, but you know, things began to be exposed about that ministry, and it hit the national news media. He's still going, but he's in dishonor. And I thought, you know, what a fool to look at what other people have rather than focus on what God has given me. Now I wasn't sitting down thinking, I wish I was on TV. You know, I'm so handsome, how could people refuse but send $10 million a month for me? I wasn't thinking that. I was just thinking, God, why, am I, why is what you give me so small whenever this man has so much? If God's hiked the ball, Leroy just needs to run with it. Not worry about Sammy over there, tight end. God has, if, he, if he's legitimate, God has a plan for him. I need to carry the ball God's given me. Um, this, this is devastating. In Scripture, it's the opposite of the fear of the Lord. Whenever you're in envy, you're out of bounds. Being wise in your own eyes. Um, being wise in your own eyes can be directed toward people but it's especially a problem with God do not be wise in your own eyes fear the Lord and shun evil this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones Proverbs 3 uh, being wise in your own eyes is opposite to fear of the Lord how, how, how do you become wise in your own eyes what, what does that mean Now you begin to believe that you're perfectly capable of something. You're arrogant. 
Maybe. They don't need the eight foot angels. Leroy's coming through. <laughs> you even think that your thoughts and words are on a par with God's? They don't seek wise counsel. Your concern ceases to be what God says and more becomes more what you're pretty sure you can pull off. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Anyone know that? Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. The person wise in his own eyes says, yeah, I'll trust in the Lord with all my heart, but I will rely on my own understanding. I will chart my course. I will secretly set my own directions. And in reality, they're not trusting the Lord with all their heart. They're going to trust the Lord 90% of their heart, 80% of their heart, 50% of their heart, or none of their heart. But they, God has plan B over here as far as they're concerned. They know plan A. Being wise in your own eyes is not recommended. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. If you'll do that, usually there's a problem with uh, morals in this area too, cheating some way. If you'll do that, then there's a hope of health for you. The pro big problem with being wise in your own eyes is you have a below zero chance of success. <laughs> See, the scripture holds out no chance of success for the fool. The fool in scriptures is not a, mo a mental deficient. They are a moral deficient. They just, they just believe that they can go ahead and do what they want to and still get what they want. And they're, they're in a way, they're, they're different kinds of hardheads. They're different flavors of them. But um, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, if fools have a zero chance. This means you wise in your own eyes. You're below zero. You've gone past the ground floor and are in the subterranean parking garage. Yeah, it, you know, it's just so easy. You know, we listen to people teach, talk. Well, you know, I know all that. By the way, I found out in the Scripture, one of the things about being wise in your own eyes has to do with laziness. We'll look at that later. Uh, being crafty and scheming, that's part of being wise in your own eyes. You know, God says do this, but I know that I can cook up a scheme. This is how we could do that. Being crafty and scheming, sort of manipulating people, being manipulative would be a good word for it. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, uh, guys who, who plot to sack girls, fellows uh, who plot to cheat on tests, uh, people, people who scheme to get what they want wrongly. God despises that thing. It's detestable to him. A scheme is a plot or to form plans that are shrewdly devious, to create intrigue. Um, those people who scheme end up with a lot of problems. A quick-tempered man does foolish things, and a crafty man is hated. Part 14, 17. People are crafty at the outset. They can get what they want. But over time, you'll watch them develop a reputation. Whatever organization they're in, people despise that person. Don't turn your back on so-and-so. People just despise that person. And the scripture says, food gained by fraud tastes sweet to a man, but he ends up with gravel in his mouth. 
Proverbs 20:17, mouthful of gravel. So, being wise in your own eyes or being crafty and scheming. Uh, these are these are all ways to just sort of turn against the boundaries God has set. And I'll summarize them as perversity. Uh, whenever you say, we live in the fear of the Lord, one, one of the things you mean is, we turn away from rebellion. We turn away from this thing of a hardened heart. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen. You know. <laughs> we, we turn away from that stuff. Uh, we turn away from envy. We direct our hearts to receive with gratitude what God has given and work on that, pray for ourselves. We turn away from being wise in our own eyes and being crafty and scheming. We turn. We also turn toward the trust of, trust of the Lord. I want to hit this one real quickly. Lord and trust in the Lord are the two sides of faith. Whenever, whenever you talk about faith, you talk about a willingness to stay within the boundaries of God. And whenever you stay within the boundaries of God, you do kiss success goodbye over and over again. Short-term success goes out the window. And in time, God brings things true and good for you. Uh, you stay within the boundaries of God. Whenever you make those decisions to stay within the boundaries of God, do you know what you have to do? You have to trust God to go ahead and come through and be good to you. If you do operate in the fear of the Lord, if you do choose a life that's going to do right and not do wrong, or like Gene Moore says, if you decide to be a person who's going to die right rather than live wrong, then you've got to trust God. Because over and over and over again, you make the decisions that leave you hanging out. You do what God says, and humanly speaking, you're in trouble. But divinely speaking, God says, I'll take care of you. Proverbs 11.3, you know, that the integrity of the upright protects them. God comes through for you. But a lot of times you just have to say no for other people saying, yes, 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 yes. You say no, you walk on, trust God, and God comes through for you. I was in a situation one time uh, where a guy tried to sell me a watch. And um, he, I was walking out of a jack-in-the-box, and this guy starts, Hey! Hey! Come here! Come here! Hey! It's from a car. You know, you hear that voice. That's, that's called the voice of folly. <laughs> you hear it in public places. I just kept on walking, and then he said, Hey! Hey! Hey, big man! Hey, big man! So I... Lord said, said, return. So I turned around and went back. He said, see his watch? Seiko. I looked at it and said, Seiko. Had diamonds around the face. So my girlfriend gets them in Houston. She's in the shipping department for Zales. And uh, she sends them to me and I sell them. He said, I'll sell you this watch. This diamond face, 49. Uh, I think it's 49.90. 49.50. I thought 49.50, that's sort of a curious price. This is a nice watch. That's never Seiko was going real big. And um, I said, I'm sorry. I said, I can't buy that. He said, why? I said, because. I said, if it's stolen property and I buy it, Jesus will whip me. So I belong to Jesus and he'll whip me. He looked at me and he said, yeah, yeah. Put the car in gear draw. I said, yeah. I could hear him going on running. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend who owned the Zales. I called up, the, called him up. I said, this story was told to me. 
And this guy offered to sell me this watch. He said, it's a girlfriend's in Houston. You might want to check what's going on with your chain. Our stores and shipping department. He saw Harold. He said, he doesn't have a girlfriend in Houston picking out watches. He said, if you look real close at that watch, it's the name is spelled S-E-I-K-I-O and not S-E-I-K-O. It's a knockoff brand, and Seiko instead of Seiko. And uh, he said the diamonds on the face, so they're just glue. He said, what they do, these characters buy these downtown for $9.50 apiece. I thought, $49.50. <laughs> he said, then they sell them as stolen property. Because they know nobody's going to call the police and say, look, I bought fake stolen property. <laughs> I thought, now, isn't this interesting? Here, out of the fear of the Lord, I didn't buy this thing, and I just saved myself at least 40 bucks. But you know, a lot of people look at that thing and say, oh, man, no questions. Let me have that. But the integrity of the upright protects them. Next, a couple of verses later, Scripture says the duplicity, the deceitfulness of, the, of people with evil desire destroys them. So I, I'm not bragging on me. All I'm saying is God's promises are true, even in small ways. We walk within the boundaries. Uh, we're protected. We trust him. You have to trust him, see, to do good to you. Even though he packs up this good deal, this good situation. This all this wonderful situation. You just, heart really goes out to you. You just need to walk on down the road. Trusting God to go ahead and do good to you in the right time, the right way. Uh, you see the blessings of the Lord, protection, straight paths, trusting in the Lord, trusting in Him with all your heart, success, prosperity is promised. Uh, if you want to fail, let your desires rule over you. Most of the stuff related to um, related to violating the trust of the Lord is related to our desires. The fear of man, what are people going to think? Oh my, what are people going to think? I really want people to think good of me. That's part, part of the problem behind the fear of rejection. It's not really fear of rejection, it's fear of man. I value the opinions of people so highly that I'll cut corners on God. I won't trust him. Um, fear of man, I want people to think good of me. The fear of man lays a snare, Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says. You really want to get in trouble, you start fearing people instead of the Lord. Instead of trusting in the Lord, he who trusts in the Lord is safe. 29.25 says, greed. Uh, we really get into greed very easily. It's an opposite to the fear of the Lord. You get into greed and you're headed for real trouble. Being eager to get rich, being stingy, especially, are ways to see a lot of trouble. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Proverbs 29.25 a greedy man stirs up dissension, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. A greedy man's got a real strong desire for more than he has. A greedy man brings trouble on his family. He who hates bribes will live. But justice, a king gives a country stability, but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. That's the story of Central and South American government. Coming apart at the seams due to bribery. There are some exceptions. A greedy... Um, a man's greed is his shame. Those that are eager to get rich, a faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. A stingy man is eager to get rich and unaware that poverty awaits him. 
Rather than trust God and give money where God says to and be generous with people, I hang on to my money. You know what? Give somebody a nickel. And I'm going to hang on to my money because I'm going to have what I want one of these days. Scripture says a liberal man being rich, a generous man, Proverbs 11.25. But a stingy man is headed for the poorhouse. That's not in the ways of God. Whenever God says give, we give and we trust God to go ahead and be good to us. We'll look at some more of these later. But I want, you to, I want you to see these in depth. Real faith is not just, oh, I trust Jesus. Real faith is very active and aggressive. Uh, it does trust Jesus, but real faith stays within boundaries that God has set. Real faith is willing to go ahead and do what God says out of respect for him and trust God to come through for us as we go ahead and do what's right. So... These two attitudes of heart are something you have to choose. It's something no one else can force into you. But whenever you decide in your heart of hearts, if God says it, God's word says this, then I'm going to live with it. You, you begin to step into the realm of wisdom, and you start to walk into the blessing of God. If, you're, if in your heart of hearts you say, God's word says this, and I can figure out a way around it, then your heart of hearts... Uh, you're getting ready for a big wrestling match. It's going to be worse than Hulk Hogan and all those other characters uh, because God will deal with you. You have to decide in your heart of hearts, I will live within the boundaries God has set. And uh, you have to decide it in advance of moments of trouble and passion because in moments of passion, you know, the, the firmest standards tend to warp. You have to make up your mind in advance. Uh, also, if you're going to walk in the fear of the Lord, you have to trust God. And a big problem with trusting God is you can't see what he's going to do. We walk by faith, not by sight. It'd be great if it was just, if it was faith, not by possession. You know, where you could at least see it if you didn't have it yet. But we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, it's out of taking the faith step with a God I can't see based on what he has promised in his word that I see the hand of God act in space and time and I get that thing called a testimony some of those testimonies are trophies sitting on my shelf other of those testimonies are war wounds <laughs> that healed up because my God took care of me when I stood and held the line in tough situations you know in heaven even the scars are going to be a blessing. When Jesus was resurrected, it's very curious to me that he didn't come out of the grave with all his scars gone. He comes to his disciples, and Thomas says, you know, Thomas already made the boast. I ain't going to believe in him, not unless I can put my finger in the scars in his hand, stick my hand in the, the big scar in his side. That's when I'll believe in him. Jesus appears before Thomas. And he said, okay, Thomas, see the hands? Hey, Thomas, check the side. Scars are not gone. What we, call, what we call scars in this life are marks of honor and glory in eternity. When the one before whom every knee will bow bears the scars of standing right before God. And scars have honor. They, they hurt on the way there. But they're a mark of the faithfulness of God. So, 
we talk about attitudes of heart, we're not just simply talking about let's all have a nice positive attitude. God is alive and well. Sometimes we're talking about I'm so mad I can spit, but I'm still going to do what's right. Sometimes we're talking about the ravens have not arrived. I have word that a missile took out half the flock and the money is short. We're still going to hang tough and trust God. We will not bail. I uh, Sometimes it's a deep wrestling in your own heart. You look to see the sin of your own heart. And you see how unworthy you are of the ministry God has given you. And you still go ahead and believe God. The attitude of, of one's heart affects the flow of everything else in his life. We'll take a look at these other things more quickly uh, whenever we get back together tonight. Thank you.